0: The following podcast contains explicit language. And we had just won Florida. Breaking news. Donald Trump has won Florida. They say, whoa. And we won it big. But then the people back there, the extremely dishonest press, said, right? I I love this stuff. Should I go on with this just a little bit longer?
1: I agree with you that there were lots of, you know, divisive comments, especially and unfortunately about the press. We found out via a tweet early this morning that Mr. Trump was had decided to cancel.
2: When I first heard that he was tweeting about something that was on this broadcast, a number of tweets last night, I kept thinking, doesn't he have like a briefing book on ISIS to be reading at ten o'clock?
1: Hello and welcome to Trumpcast. I'm Virginia Heffernan. At Trumpcast, we begin with a moment of silence. Because Donald Trump is still our president-elect. Jason, we are having a moment of silence. You are supposed to respect that. So you know those fairy tales where sweet, innocent little Miller's daughters have to be married off to horrible ogres? Well, I think we've been feeling and acting that way since the election. Like we're about to be slammed into some bluebeard closet by our horrible husband and there's nothing we can do about it. Well, Will Salatin has some good news. Will writes about politics, science, technology, and I don't know, the meaning of life for Slate, which means I guess he doesn't write about needlepoint, but almost everything else. His good news is that ogre we're married to might just be a baby. Donald Trump he says, is a pushover, an emotional softie who's easily won over with the right amount of flattery, good dogs, and warm brownie bites. But before Will Salton comes to break it down for us, we had a little brown paper package show up on our doorstep today. We opened it up with great curiosity, and in it found an eight-track tape. We dug out of the dust our old eight-track player, and this is what we heard.
0: No. Trump. We can't, we can't, just get along. No Trump. We can't, we can't, just get along. You don't get a pat on the back for ratcheting down from rabbit after exploiting that very radicalism to your own advantage. You suck. No Trump. We can't, we can't, just get along. No Trump. We can't, we can't just get along Unrepentant opportunism But a staggering lack Of character and caring That can't simply be vanquished From our memory you are an aberration and abomination willing to do and say anything no matter whom it aligns you with and whom it might hurt to satisfy your ego, avarice, and greed. I don't believe you care much about America. I believe the only thing you care about is self meant Your strongest allegiance is to your own You are an aberration and abomination willing to do and say anything no matter whom it aligns you with and whom it might hurt to satisfy your ego, avarice, and greed. I don't believe you care much about America. I believe the only thing you care about is self-aggrandisement. Your strongest allegiance is to your own occupancy. As long
1: that composition was created by Matthew Francis. He set a column by Charles M. Blow in the New York Times called No Trump, We Can't Just Get Along to the music of Frederick Chopin, specifically Waltz Opus 64, Number 2, because why not? We
2: have
0: an obligation to resist you and your agenda. You are.
2: Purchase necessary. VGW Group, avoid where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply.
1: My guest today is Will Salatin, who writes about politics, science, technology, and other stuff for Slate. His column in Slate this week is called How to Manipulate Donald Trump. Welcome, Will.
2: Hey, happy to join you, Virginia.
1: So I love this piece you have today in Slate, uh, yesterday in Slate, about how to manipulate. Donald Trump. It's sort of, you know, those who do not cheer at his victory have spent a lot of time feeling sort of disempowered and, and sorry for ourselves. And this was a this had a kind of like Lao Tzu or yeah, son, whoever the art of war Machiavelli side that made me feel like, OK, maybe we could sort of get our mojo back and um, start pushing Trump around or at least imagining that we could. Tell us what you sort of teased out emotionally about our our president-elect. Well,
2: this didn't start out as a how to manipulate Donald Trump piece. I just Ah. started out by saying, you know, I think that A lot of what is upsetting my friends, my colleagues, my family about Donald Trump is they don't, I mean, they're upset about him and I'm upset too, but they don't really get who he is. Everybody's so scared of him. Everybody sees sort of another Hitler, a fascist, a tyrant, a bully, and there is a lot of bully in him, but behind every bully, inside every bully is a coward. And if you have been watching Trump's rallies throughout the campaign as I have, you sort of had that sense before, but... It, you know, it was a campaign. And in a campaign, you're never sure whether you're seeing the real person or whether you're seeing a persona. And Trump, of course, is notorious for playing a, a role, for, for, for an act. So I wanted to see what Trump is like after the election. So after the election, he's still doing these, he's doing these silly videos. They're, you know, it's all canned material. But he did do a few interviews, some of which were on, caught on audio or on video, some of which were just caught on a transcript or written up. And in those interviews, here you have a post-election Trump, Trump, the president-elect, speaking but not in a canned way so much as just interacting with reporters. So you see the real guy. And what you see if you watch these or if you read these is how soft he is, how behind the whole tough guy act, he's a very squishy, needy person. And that has tremendous implications for how we deal with him.
1: You know, it's, it's kind of funny because, um, you know, the, the campaigns were so much – there so much talk about gender during them. And is it possible that our, you know, the truly emotionally something softy, as you say, the the yin figure in the election was Donald Trump. He's easily triggered. He needs he needs trigger warnings. He needs safe spaces. You say here, for instance, he really, really wants to be loved
2: right the the uh, w- one thing about the campaign when you're talking about Hillary and and Donald okay so we have a woman running against a man and the stereotype, of course, is that the woman is weak, and that's what Donald Trump tried to send. That's the message he was trying to send. She doesn't have stamina, he said, right? But Hillary was on to him, and there were a couple of points in the campaign where you saw that she really had her finger on who he was. One where she, he went to see the president of Mexico, and she said he choked, right? Yeah. And, of course, that got to him, but it was true. It's true that Donald Trump, when he had to be face-to-face, mano-a-mano, with the president of Mexico backed away from his rhetoric about uh, the, the wall and his relationship with Mexico and all that. The other one was where she said, a man you can bait with a tweet should not be president. And both of those, she had her finger on what a weakling, what a fragile ego Trump was. And so she warned us. I
1: might add to that that when he when she said he's a puppet, you know. That you know, which which sort of goes along with your your he has lap dog tendencies. I mean, that's what we need to fear that he's a lap dog more than that he's an attack dog. Right. Um. I thought that was interesting, but Hillary was was able to throw that all into relief. Um. In an interesting right. way. Right. And you know when
2: she said when she said that line about the puppet, remember what he said back to her. He said. you're the puppet now The the person who says we, we okay
1: i have to the thing that keeps coming up for me i'm sorry to interrupt the thing that keeps coming up for me every time he says you're the one with no stamina you're the puppet is that one time i i don't even know why i'm telling this story but one time i was so down on my health and i was at the ear doctor and he looked in my ear we were trying to figure out something going wrong and he said i think you have eczema and i said You have eczema. (laughs) I just was like, I just thought it was an insult. You know, I was tired of being the one with the problems, right? And I feel like you know, Trump says, "Oh, you say there was voter fraud. You have voter fraud." (laughs) You know, it's just like you've got eczema, Um, and and you know, I don't even know what that's. That was a low point for me. But that's all in a day's work for Trump. What? makes a person talk that way and do that.
2: Well, fragility, right? I mean, the guy who says, no, you're the puppet is the one who secretly is afraid of being thought of as a puppet. It's not somebody who... Now, that's during a campaign. So now we have the post-election phase. The guy has just been elected president of the United States. Normally, the behavior of a person in this situation is, I don't have to worry anymore. I'm going to be president for the next four years. I was just validated and I have power right and now i need to be responsible i need to think about other people and how i'm going to bring this country together what the problem with trump is he just can't emotionally rise to that level he has not shown us so far so more than anybody who's ever been elected to the presidency in my lifetime he has failed to change at this point has failed to rise to the level and so he's still trying to say I won the election big. I beat the other side badly. You know, he, uh, three weeks after the election, Michigan is certified for him. What does he do? He runs another victory lap. I have Michigan. He's like the kid who, you know, you went to high school with, and now it's 20 years later, and he really should have moved on with his life, but he can't stop talking about uh, what a great debater or football player he was, and here's his letter jacket.
1: Okay, so he wants to be loved. He wants us—his ego is super fragile— Some of these um, points you're deriving from these interviews that were pretty extraordinary that he gave, uh, the, you know, the, the one that I really studied carefully and, and I, yeah, was the one with the New York Times. That's where he was boasting about. How well he campaigned and, A, did I remind you I won the election? Right.
2: The, the most amazing thing to me about that interview, it's not so much a particular word. It's the fact that he's introduced by the publisher. Donald uh, Mr. President-elect, would you like to say uh, – uh, give some opening remarks to the assembled staff, columnist, et cetera of the New York Times? So normally, someone given this opportunity would talk about their presidency, what they're going to do, what the future holds, how they see things. No, he spends what appears to be about 10 minutes rehashing the campaign, talking about what a great job he did, um, how he was underestimated by the media. It is a bizarre performance. And at, at, at some point, the publisher has to step in and say, all right, now let's move on and talk about what's ahead. That's pretty sad.
1: I worry a little bit that even bright people who, you know, ought to have a certain um, have their immune system up for against someone who, you know, in the morning calls The New York Times, uh, you know, despicable and failing and and to your face says it's a jewel of the globe. I worry that, you know, because he's like a toddler and he suddenly wants to be loved. It's very hard to not give him that love that he craves. You know, because it seems so simple. Why not say, Oh wow, you did do well in Michigan. Good for you.
2: Well good dog. Well maybe we should ask that question, Virginia. I mean, maybe put it this way, if he's not gonna be the adult maybe we need to be the adults, okay? Mm -hmm. So we we work with every parent knows this situation. You're just used to the person on the other end being three years old or five years old. You know, in this case, he's 70, but we know how to work with this. And you cajole you to some degree, you try to nudge along and bring the best out of him. But in his case, a certain amount of flattery. Look, it's not just parents, right? Think back to the history of monarchies. Donald Trump is basically a king. Uh, He has the personality of a king. And forever and forever, people learned how to be courtiers, how to uh, stroke the king's ego. And they did it because the guy had power and you really needed to bring the best out of him. And you just didn't have the luxury of judging in public. And maybe to some degree, we need to think that way. We don't want to normalize the guy, but we would really like him not to blow up the world. So maybe this is how we have to deal with him.
1: Okay. So tell me what that looks like, you know, on a specific level. I mean, you you and I weren't in the room at the Wall Street Journal, 60 Minutes, uh, you know, the Times, but, you know, hopefully some listeners or, or, you know, friends of listeners will be in the room with him during Legislative conversations or, you know, consequential conversations. So what would it look like to both flatter him and um, manipulate yeah. him into, um, you know, into more sanity and... And, you know, more clarity.
2: Well, if we have the luxury of the right people being in the room with him, which, of course, is the big if. Let's put it this way. When they're in the room with him, as they were at the Times, in my opinion, um, we have some pretty good models for how that's done. Um, We we know that President Obama had 90 minutes with him and that three days after that meeting – Trump was talking about what wonderful chemistry they had. And Trump is saying, maybe I'll just amend Obamacare. So clearly Obama had an effect on him. But in the Times transcript, we have this wonderful, wonderful I, – i I'm going to insult Tom Friedman, and I don't mean to. But I have, I can't not call it a suck-up. It is a beautiful, elaborate mm. suck-up. And, yeah. and Tom is doing this on behalf of our planet. So good for you, Tom. Thank you. But he goes – he starts in on climate change, which is – honestly the number one thing you should be concerned about with Donald Trump because it's a long-term thing. It will pay off for somebody down the road and a narcissist like Trump is not going to think that way. He's going to think about what he can do right now for coal miners in West Virginia. So Tom is working on the right issue and Tom does not make a big moral pitch. He starts talking about golf courses because Trump has golf courses and, you know, would you, wouldn't, you, wouldn't it be sad for you if some of these golf courses started going underwater and, And, of course, the golf course is outdoors, and it's sort of his way of getting Trump to think about himself as an environmentalist. And pretty soon in this transcript, you see Trump talking about his environmental awards. He wants to be loved. He wants to be admired for his environmental stewardship, even if it's a golf course. That's how you do it.
1: Well, that's extraordinary, right? And it's a way of, um, something like cooling off his immune system from the beginning, because not just is he pandering and lap doggy. You also say in this article, his, he's, his reflexes are, are vindictive. He flares up quickly. It's possibly that that has given him the illusion or given him the, the appearance of strength because he's so reactive. But, uh, you know, we know that toddlers are the ones that say, like, you're the worst mommy in the world. You know, and uh, and that's not because they're strong.
2: Right. And also also, you know, that the toddler is might not be so angry at you when they need dinner or tomorrow when they've forgotten about it. Right. (laughs) Trump's memory is very short. He is like a child that way. So he we have this history of him that what you're talking about, the tweets to The New York Times, a perfect example in the same day. You're horrible. You're failing. I'm I'm breaking up with you. I'm not going to show up. And then shows up with his tail between his legs and, and, and ends up saying, I hope I can, can, can come back to this room in a couple of years and you'll all say I did a great job. And he says not a conservative job necessarily, just a great job. He wants the Times to love him even if two hours ago he was calling them a failure and the worst newspaper in the world.
1: So if we're thinking in terms of, you know, t- treating Trump like the, like a child that, you know, cause he sort of has the emotional intelligence of a, of a three-year-old, four-year-old, what about boundaries? What about discipline? What about the, you know, the sort of the fatherly side of things? I mean, we, at least in, uh, When my children were young, contemporary child rearing had like the pendulum had swung to we're too friendly with our children. We flatter them too much. We praise them too much. Now we're supposed to exercise these boundaries. I always found that exhausting. But maybe with Trump, you know, is there something? Well, let's you know, let's say the conversation he had with Obama. It's possible that in generating this great chemistry, that mostly what Obama did was, um, you know, was placate him a little bit and then bring him around to, you know, like a courtier, then bring him around to the idea of keeping Obamacare, you know, at least somewhat in place. But it also, I've heard that Obama subtly um, put Trump on the defense by uh, making it seem as though he ought to have been better prepared, you know, had read 200 pages of some kind of briefing as though he was in law school and he was in a hot seat. And this wasn't just a meet and greet is there something that you can do to sort of set expectations for him set higher standards for him the things that we're supposed to do with our kids because this kind of sucking up is it's exhausting <laughs> it doesn't seem like the american way and and it takes a long time
2: yeah and of course the problem is that when you're doing it as a parent when you're working this way with a 3 year old or a 5 year old it can be exhausting but at least you can tell yourself this kid's going to grow up i am Helping to form him or her, and they will be a better person down the road now, <laughs> with a seventy year old man, what do you have to look forward to? <laughs> really nothing i mean he is he is as far along on the Kohlberg scale as he's ever going to get, so you, you don't so it's exhausting, and there is no benefit in terms of his growth, so it's really kind of a um, rescue operation you're You're basically trying mm-hmm. to protect your country and the world um, maybe the trick is to do this without making him feel emotionally threatened, right? Because he responds very poorly when he feels humiliated. So Obama has this conversation with him in private, right? And then it leaks out that Obama said that Trump seemed overwhelmed. So then I thought, oh, shit, right? Now Trump has seen that Obama said that Trump looked like an idiot. And now Obama's gonna la- uh, now Trump's going to lash out at Obama and the whole thing's going to explode. But amazingly... In the Times interview, Trump is asked about this and he says, oh, I don't think he meant anything bad by that. And he, he construes Obama's comment in a favorable way. So somehow Obama established the baseline level of relationship with him that allowed Trump to sort of take this, I guess it would be too high praise to say it was boundary setting. I mean, I understand what you're saying. I'm not sure Obama quite did it, but there's an art to... To setting those boundaries with Trump or simply conveying to him how serious the job is and what lies ahead without making him feel threatened. And I'm sure that's really difficult, but I think it's what Obama tried to do.
1: Uh, this is so fascinating to me and so just well observed. I mean, there's like, the, you know, it's it's one thing to take a look at him and say he's a narcissist and or, or you know, makes him somehow psychologically beyond the pale. But it's another thing to really go through his communications at length and point out the emotional inclinations in them. So I'm really grateful. You do say there is a four, a four word sentence in here. I'm not even going to repeat it. I'm, I'm going to make you say it. I'm going to start you off. It's not just that he's mentally ill, uh, I mean, is what you're alleging. Trump is virtually oh, lo- you remember what so, you wrote? oh lobotomized. <laughs> That's right. I mean, it's not just that his cerebral cortex is in trouble. It's missing. That's what we learn here. Um, thank you so much, Will. This was really, really illuminating.
2: Thank you, Virginia.
1: So that's it for today's show. Trumpcast is produced by Jason DeLeon. Steve Liktai is the executive producer of Slate Podcasts. Andy Bowers is the chief content officer of Panoply. And of course, Jacob Weisberg originated the role of Trumpcast host. And I'm Virginia Heffernan. Tune in for more Trumpcast next week.